You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last week we had talked about um, our fight against sin and finding salvation. And, you know, so we talked about just the idea that, that sin will be defeated one day, that there's personal responsibility for us moving forward. So as we continue to long for that day, it necessitates that we take personal responsibility for the choices that we make. And I was having a um, conversation even this week uh, with students that, that we're responsible for our choices, that uh, despite our, our circumstances, despite our, our backgrounds, that every single day we're responsible, and it's our job to be responsible uh, for the choices that we make. I had to pull a group of boys in um, one morning this week, and they had been terrorizing a girl um, in in early care, throwing stuff around, giving her a hard time, and pulled them in and uh, just sat them down and I said, "All right, let's let's figure out what's going on. What what is your role in what's been taking place?" And every boy that I went to, and I made sure that I went through all of them before I addressed it. Every boy that I went through wanted to start by saying, "Well, this is what she did, and this is why I did it." When we got done, and I said, "Boys, have you guys heard the story of Adam and Eve? Because this sounds all too familiar to what I've been studying." Because when God comes to Adam and says, what's going on? What, what's the problem here? He starts by saying, this is what she did. And I said, guys, we're not going to be those type of men. When I ask you what your responsibility is, I don't want to hear you talk about somebody else and what they did and then how you responded to it. I said, guys, you've got to learn to take responsibility for your actions. And that's what flows out of Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve and, and all of their descendants, we have a responsibility to see our choice made in light of God's holiness and be responsible for those choices and knowing that there's a sure discipline if we're not that uh, God promises that he loves us as a father and he will not withhold discipline from us and so uh, the the kind of the, the backup plan there so if we if we fail to see Christ as being better than everything this world has to offer the backup plan there is that we will be disciplined for our sin um, and there's an assured discipline there and so every time we willfully put ourselves into sin, we are willingly inviting the discipline of God into our life. And we discussed last week that, that obviously none of us would willingly want to do that. Which brings us kind of to the end of Genesis 3 and how I wanted to, to wrap up things this morning uh, and move us into the point of application for next week. Um, we discussed the, the good news there that's in Genesis 3, that, that what Adam and Eve did is not a permanent Condition. It doesn't have to be a permanent death, that there's salvation made available. The, the promise of the gospel contained there that, that, that God was going to send someone through Eve who would defeat the dragon, who would, who would defeat evil. And so the hope of coming back to that, and we said last week that that news is too good to keep to ourselves, that yes, we believe we're saved, we believe that Christ has redeemed us, that, that we have a hope for our future, but it's too good a news to keep to ourselves that the, the mission, the mandate is for us to bring as many people back with us as we can. Um, that, that that mandate has been given to us in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And so as we look this morning, the mission of Genesis 3, we're going to talk a little bit about, about the, the command and the need for us to go in light of what we talked about last week for our church. As we uh, really begin to prayerfully consider the idea of planning a church overseas and doing so in the in the country of Uganda with, with Chris and his ministry, that um, as we even presented that last week, the, the overwhelming response has been honestly what I expected it to be, um, that there would be a lot of excitement and a lot of interest and a lot of conversations where people want to talk to us. Hey, our 5K team just got here. Um, yeah, all right. Um, 
So, you know, what, what has happened this week is that Chris has had people come to him. I've had people come to me that said, hey, I want to talk further about potentially going. Um, my, my interest has been peaked now that we're starting to move in that direction. And so, um, which, which is honestly what I, what I expected and, and why I told you last week all the, all the, the factors seem to point to us going to Uganda and sending a group there uh, to plant a church. And so wanting to, to kind of connect the truth of Scripture with what we're seeking to do as a church and give all of us some additional things to think about as we try to wrestle with, am I in the group that's going? Am I in the group that's staying? And realizing that both are absolutely necessary and both are absolutely crucial for us to pull this thing off. Okay, so in your notes this morning, um, give you a couple things that flow out of Genesis 3 as far as the mission mandate um, that we see here. First of all, the command. The command in your notes. Um, the call is to spread his glory to all people in all places, right? So when Adam and Eve were created, they were created to, to spread God's glory. They were called to reproduce themselves. They were to raise up children who were going to value God above all things. And, and they were called to spread out to the ends of the earth. And we're going to see in Genesis that that continues to be the push. Um, even after uh, Noah and his family come off the ark, that the goal is to spread out, to, to raise children that love God and, and to spread that glory to the ends of the earth. And, and they're, they're going to be disciplined for it when they build the Tower of Babel and don't want to spread out. Instead, they want to build something that gets them to God. And, and so that continues to be a theme through Genesis is that we're supposed to spread out and we're to take his glory to the ends of the earth. And, and that's reiterated in Matthew 8, uh, 28 with the Great Commission. So, what we ultimately find here is that our, our participation is not optional, right? It's a command. We are to fit in in some form or fashion with the spread of God's glory to the ends of the earth. Number two, the need. The need. We here at Sovereign Hope believe we have identified an area that does not have a current outlet to receive gospel-transforming teaching and fellowship. So we talked a little bit about this week. Why, why would we go to Uganda? Um, because we believe we've identified an area there that does not have a current outlet to receive gospel-transforming teaching and fellowship. The fact is, is that, 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 that Uganda may be considered a, a, a nation that has been reached in the eyes of, of mission boards and organizations. Um, but in discussions with Chris, there is not a an outlet there, a, a church that is actively teaching and, and providing the type of fellowship that we believe is so necessary for one's life to be completely changed by the gospel. Um, it's an area where there's a lot of false teaching, a lot of false hope that's being proclaimed. And so we desire to be a light to to come alongside churches that may be are, are clinging to some forms of the gospel and redirect them to the true gospel, uh, to, to provide light to people that have never experienced it, that are in complete darkness. Um, you know, Chris has shared that there's, there's a Muslim presence there that, that, that has uh, provided some resistance to what he's even seeking to do there. And so it's an area of darkness that needs uh, light to be shown. Genesis 3 is our foundation for understanding the truths of Romans. You'll remember when we went back and, and went through Romans chapter by chapter, what we find is that people are condemned to hell without Christ. That, that's, that's Paul's building point all through Romans is that every single individual is condemned. 
that their good works will not fix their condemnation, will not fix their sin problem. They are condemned to an eternity in hell unless they submit to Jesus Christ. And Romans 10 says, unless they hear of Jesus Christ, they cannot submit to him. And so God has a plan in place that necessitates our participation. What we find is that God's only way of salvation is people hearing of Jesus Christ through the efforts of other believers. Right? That's the primary, that's the primary way that God saves. Now, that's not to discount that, that God hasn't, through visions and dreams, called people to salvation. But even in those stories, typically, that you hear, even stories that we see in Scripture, those visions and dreams always connect that individual to a believer that can further expound and really present the truths of the gospel. So God's plan of salvation is always people hearing about Jesus through other believers. So the need is great uh, for us to go if people in this area are going to be saved. Number three, the provision. The provision. God is establishing sovereign hope to be a sending hub that includes people going and people sending. You know, we believe that we're going to be a church that can provide for this to happen. Um, That God is going to continue to bless financially people that stay. Not so they can build their own kingdoms here. Not so they can continue to get raises and, and build their bank accounts and build their retirement. But that God is going to call people to stay and is going to bless them financially so that that money can be used to send others to go. We're investing in a plan that works. I mean, that's the encouragement that's given to us this morning, that that God has already provided assurance that we're putting our money in a place where we are guaranteed success. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the idea here is that that the gospel is going to go out, that Jesus is not coming back until the gospel has reached the ends of the earth. In Matthew 24, 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus has assured us of this, and then Jesus follows it up by saying that that his words are true, that his words are accurate. And then we see in Revelation the fulfillment of what Jesus has promised. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so God's plan gets fulfilled as we see a glimpse of the future of people from all tribes and nations worshiping him. Number four in your notes is the warning, and I think this is where... You know, there's excitement. People are thinking, hey, maybe we could go. Maybe maybe we will go. And and I, and I think that as we continue to move forward and discuss this, that it that it necessitates us kind of stepping back and, and hitting a pause button a little bit and saying, OK, to go necessitates and, and will probably bring some things into my life that maybe currently aren't there. 
the warning here is that we are opening ourselves up to the persecution that many of us have never known. John 15, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, many of us have never experienced the persecution that Scripture promises. We've, we've lived in safety and, and we've, we've experienced difficulties, things that are very real in our life. But to really experience opposition from, from other individuals really is probably something that we've never experienced. You know, I, I briefly referenced this morning that, that Chris has already said that there are people that are hostile towards what he's even set up already. People that have come in and have taken from from his uh, from his house there, um, I would imagine, right? So so Chris has been in the planning process for this, has 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 done some things there, has has gone temporarily at times, but really hasn't gone with the with the full intent of doing what God's called him to do yet. And I would imagine that Satan's attention will be drawn to what's going on there in a way that it hasn't been up to this point. That 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 the the alarms will be sounded in Satan's. Uh, in Satan's forces and his enemies, that there will be attention drawn to this now because our desire is not just to go over there and, and set up a cute little Bible study where we've got some people meeting and reading the Bible and, and then come home. The plan is to establish a church that can storm the gates of hell and rescue people from that country and surrounding countries. The plan is to build a church that will reproduce itself and plant other churches. The plan is for us to establish and to start that, that process and come home and get out of the way so that those Ugandan people can do it, to, to raise them up, to establish elders like Paul talked about with, with Timothy and Titus, and once that's done, to come home and to continue offering encouragement from here that, that, that they would follow through with what God has called them to do, to reach the ends of the earth. Um, and, and so there's a warning there, a warning individually for those that go, that they're opening themselves up to persecution potentially. Now, that's not to deter you from going. It's to remind you of the reality of going, right? Because we can get into our minds this thought process that, hey, we're going to show up and people are just going to love us. People are going to welcome us and want us there. You know, and, and we're reminded of people like Jim Elliott who showed up and were killed. They, they came with, with life-giving news and they were killed for it. They were seen as a threat. And so there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be deterrence, there's going to be potential persecution that we need to be mindful of for anybody that we send. And even here, I believe that, that if, we're the, if we're the sending hub, if we're the ones that are, that are financially supporting this, that, that even an increased awareness that Satan will seek to attack us here, to cut off the, the life-giving arm to that ministry. Um, and so... Uh, just, just helping us to be mindful of the, the importance that it's going to be for us to be in prayer, for us to be praying for this process, praying against uh, anything that would seek to deter what God wants to do through this. And then lastly here in your notes, uh, number five, the reward. Those that sacrifice the fleeting pleasures of the world will inherit something far greater in the life to come. We're going to talk about this here in a few minutes, but... Obviously, those that go are giving up some things in order to go. There's things that are going to have to be sacrificed in order to make that decision. But the assurance to us in Romans 8 
Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, if you were to sit down and have a conversation with Adam and Eve after they vacated paradise, I can assure you they would be willing to give up anything in their new world to go back to the old, right? They, they recognize the value of what we've seen and experienced far exceeds anything in this fallen world. So as they established house and home and children and began to, to create a way of life, I guarantee you they would have dropped everything for the value of what they'd already experienced. Now, we don't have the advantage of already experiencing what's to come, but the truths are contained for us there in Scripture that, that everything that we hope for after this life far exceeds anything that we can enjoy here and now. So anything that ultimately is given up is a temporary sacrifice a temporary investment in something that far exceeds any value that this world has today. So a little application from that. The gospel is worth building your life around. All right, we've seen that it's commanded, that there's a need for it, that God is making provision for it. Even though there's a warning attached, that when we get serious about engaging our activity with God's kingdom, that there's a, there's a potential persecution, there's a potential um, attack that comes our way, but that the reward is far greater than any tribulation or trials that we could experience. So the gospel is worth building our lives around. It's an investment. We've talked about this before. Uh, investments are, are not considered gambles typically. You know, when, when someone gambles on, on the Super Bowl next week, you know, you get a 50 50 chance about who's going to win that game. And there'll be many that will wager their hard earned money in hopes of getting a bigger return on that money. But ultimately, it's a gamble. An investment is more of a calculated risk. It's, it's I'm investing in something that, that really has a, has a great chance to succeed. What we have with the gospel is that we're called to invest our money, our time, our resources. But when we use that term investment, we need to remember that there is no calculated risk there. As we've already seen, God's plans will be successful. Um, that it's a guaranteed return on our investment, a guaranteed win. Scripture tells us that we invest in the gospel by investing in the church. And one of the great ways that we do that is by sending missionaries. In Romans chapter 15, verse 24, we, we remember that, um, that Paul, in order for Paul to accomplish what he did, it necessitated that churches provide money so that he could go. In Romans 15, 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. That, that Paul needed financial support. Paul needed financial investment for him to get where he needed to go. Um, and it was a right thing. It was a, a proper thing. We, we've seen that Scripture teaches to pay the teachers of the church, to support others in the church by giving your money to the church so that ultimately the gospel can go forth. In Titus chapter 3, Verse 13, do your, pe do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Here's two guys that are out doing, doing gospel type work and, and they're told to, to help them, to speed them along by making sure that they needed nothing. Okay. Two guys here just out doing God's business. One of them named Apollos. It's a great name. Keep that in mind when, when my next son comes. Um, we invest in the gospel by investing in the church. And so in order for this to happen, in order for us to obey the commands of Scripture, in order for us to meet the needs 
of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, it will necessitate people giving, giving even more maybe now than they are currently giving to this church so that we can send these people out. Um, it's a right investment, an investment that, that is guaranteed to bring back far more than we could ever put into it. In your notes next, what is my role in God's plan? So I'm going to give you three different roles, and I believe that all of us fit into one, if not several. But all of us fit into at least one of these roles that we're going to talk about. Um, it's how we fit into God's plan right now, unless God changes things, for us to specifically reach Uganda. Um, where do I fit into that? Where do I fit into that? Okay. Um, number one in your notes here, God calls some to go indefinitely. God calls some to go indefinitely. In Acts chapter 13. You remember Acts is the, the history of the beginning of the church and um, you're beginning to see many of the practices that we engage in find their origin here in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 13, there is becoming a need to send people out to reach new places with Christ. And it says in Acts 13, 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. My hope is that we have something very similar happen here, that as we continue to worship together and, and pray together and, and, and fellowship together, that God calls people out of this church, stirs in their hearts a desire to go, but also affirms that to us as, as church members here that aren't going, that, it, that, it's, that it's obvious who should go, that, that we're even finding a stirring in our heart that while I'm not supposed to go, I could definitely see so-and-so going. That seems to be what's going on here. It was, it was a, a setting apart of these two. Everybody's praying and fasting and worshiping together. And, and God just makes it obvious to that church. These two individuals are to go. And it says that they sent them off. Now, we've seen before that these are two men that the reason it was obvious for them to go is that they were already very active in types of ministry that that uh, made it obvious that they would be successful, that it would be the type of guy that you would want to go to be a missionary. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So what you have here is you have two men who were already faithfully teaching in the church, not necessarily as pastors, because in Acts 13 it says 
The church had prophets and teachers, and it also had Saul and Barnabas. So it's not that they were the only ones that were capable of doing this. But what you do see is that they were in the church. They had embraced the responsibility to teach younger believers in the church. They were discipling them, raising them up, maturing them in the faith. That's ultimately what's going to have to happen over in Uganda or wherever we end up going. That there's going to have to be a teaching and a raising up of either new believers, brand new believers. We get there, we share the gospel, they respond. Or individuals that are already believers but are very immature in the faith. So as you begin to think through, am I supposed to go, understand that that it necessitates you participating in this type of ministry. Now that shouldn't scare you off because you're, you're, you're supposed to be involved in that ministry here as well. This isn't just mission type ministry. This is everyday Christian ministry. We're called to disciple others. We're called to raise up other people and, and help mature them in the faith. But, but these are guys that were doing it where they were. And so when they were called out to go and do it somewhere else, it was, it was something that was kind of a unanimous agreement. Yes, yes, let's send these two. So God calls some to go indefinitely, and I believe that God is going to call some within this church to to give up things here, to sacrifice things here, to to um, essentially quit doing some things here, to turn their back on some areas of their life here, to put some things on hold here, to go, to go. And, you know, honestly, as we're kind of thinking through it, the it's a, it's a minimum of at least two years before we would send anybody Um for, for us to spend this next year really praying and, and beginning to put some things on paper. You know, Chris has already said that if this is going to happen, that he would like to be there in advance. So even giving Chris a, a year's advance to be there and to, to get some things established. So a minimum of two years that we would really uh, expect to send people, which will, will fly by, right? So don't think, well, that sounds like a long time. It'll be gone in no time. Um, and then potentially five years there. So, we're, so you're looking at seven years even from right now of, of the type of commitment that we're talking about. And there will be people that I believe God stirs in their hearts and calls to go for this, to go indefinitely. Because even as we say five years, the, the intent is, is that we don't come back until the church is established. We'd love to see that happen in a five-year time period. Um, but, but, but ultimately God's responsible for that. But, but trying to put at least some type of number on it. God will call some to go indefinitely. And we need to be praying as to whether that's that's us, that God is calling us to be those ones that go indefinitely. But secondly, God calls some to go temporarily. God calls some to go temporarily. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul has spent a great deal of time talking about the concept of putting others' needs above your own needs and being willing to sacrifice yourself and Lay down your life for others and not grumble and complain. And as he comes to the end of chapter 2, he decides to give some real tangible examples of people who do this. And he references two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says in Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, so Timothy became Paul's short-term missionary. He, he's, he's, and I've got some other passages here that we won't look at. But he sends Timothy 
for, for a short amount of time to go check out, check out how things are going and then pulls him back. And he too is a man that would be qualified to go indefinitely. He says, you know, Timothy, he's proven his worth. And he, and he says, like a son with a father, he has worked with me alongside me in the gospel. And, and, and he's drawing on this idea of a son who learns the family trade from dad. And so he, he's taking it to a spiritual depth and he says, Timothy has come alongside me and, and like a son with a dad has learned the gospel and how to do gospel ministry. He says, I trust this man. I trust this individual. And, and he's proven his worth. He's, he's done things faithfully here that gives me confidence to send him to you guys for a short amount of time to encourage you. Epaphroditus is a man that had been sent to Paul temporarily. He says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that he because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. These guys that go temporarily are no less valuable than the ones that went indefinitely. This, this guy, Epaphroditus, he's, 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 his home is Philippi. He's, he's a part of the Philippian church. And they sent him as a short-term missionary, as a, as a temporary guy, to go and encourage Paul and to encourage what was going on with Paul's ministry. And then the intent was for him to come back home where he lives. God's going to call some of us to stay, but not just to stay and, and work hard and provide money and, and allow others to go. He's going to call some to stay with the intent of going there regularly to encourage our people. Like we have a desire where we would send short-term mission trips, people that would go for a week or two at a time to go encourage our people. It wouldn't be fair to just send six to eight people over there and say, hey, we'll see you guys in five years, right? Like, like we want to oh, go ahead and do what we would plan to do long-term, and that's to send people back for short amount of time. And so we would go ahead and start that process now. So some people are going to be called. They're going to say, man, I have a heart for what we're doing there, but I've got some things going on here. Maybe I've got a great job that I know if I were to step away from it, somehow we would have to compensate for the money that I'm giving to the church. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to continue to work hard and give to this church but I'm going to carve out two weeks every year to go, to go encourage our family, to go encourage our church over there, just like a man like Epaphroditus would have done. You know, some of us are, are in situations, you know, for me in the education field where, where I have long breaks, I have summers off, I have long uh, places where I'm not going to have to take off work to even go. There'll be some of us that stay but we participate by going for a short amount of time and then we come back. And I can guarantee you the, 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 the long-term health of our team over there is going to require a constant connection with what they've left behind. They're leaving behind family and friends, and they're going to a place where they're going to be attacked spiritually, maybe physically, but definitely spiritually. There's going to be times of depression and discouragement when they think, man, I thought this was going to happen real quick, and, and it's not. 
to know that, hey, in, in a month or two, we've got people from South Hope coming to see us and to visit us and to work alongside of us and to, to give us an outlet to introduce our kids to long-term missions, right? So, so as our kids continue to grow up and are, and are in that youth group phase, to be able to take kids even over and say, this is what missions looks like, and these are people that used to be a part of our church. You may not remember them because you were a little bit younger, but here they are doing the work of the ministry. And maybe long-term, God wants to put you in a situation like this too. Because Lord willing, as long as Sovereign Hope's here, this won't be our only endeavor overseas. Like, we'll do this, we'll come back home, and we'll regroup and say, okay, who's the next group going to Nepal maybe this time? Right? Maybe we'll make some contacts over the next few years with somebody in Nepal so we can logistically go to Nepal. All right, so this is a long-term thing that we're trying to kickstart here. And some will be called to participate temporarily, but to stay here. And then number three. God calls some to stay intentionally. He calls some to go indefinitely. He calls some to go temporarily. And he calls some to stay intentionally. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is is found in Mark chapter 5. In this scene, and this is where chapter breaks sometimes harm our understanding of Scripture... If you back up into, into Mark chapter 4, you'll remember that this is where Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling across um, and, and they encounter a storm. It says in verse 35 of Mark 4, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took with him the boat just as he was and, all, and uh, other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so the boat was already filling um, but he was in the stern asleep, so Jesus is, is resting. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is, is going on a, a little mini-series of teaching where he's taking them out of the classroom and he's doing some practical application so that they can understand that that he's not just your average rabbi, that he has superior power over all of creation. And so he demonstrates here, I have power over nature. And they're, they're amazed by this. Who, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so they're, they're mesmerized by, by, by what they're learning about Jesus. And, and Jesus is really about to rock their world when he takes them to this next scene. But it's important to connect these two because you'll remember that the day had just ended when they get in the boat here. So it's nighttime. Sun's going down, and for a lot of us, storms can be a little scary. You got lightning and thunder and wind, and, and, and your safety's in danger. So they've just come through this. But the sun, for all, for all we know, has not come up yet, so it's dark. I mean, it's nighttime. They've, they've reached the other side, and they enter what could really be perceived as, as the most terrifying environment. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. I mean, put yourself in this setting. They've just come through a a terrifying storm. God has calmed it, but it's still nighttime. They step off their boat and they're in they're in a graveyard, which would have been considered an unclean place for a Jew to even be. But, you know, most of us that don't that that don't have maybe a ton of courage would would think graveyard at night with storms like that's that's really not where you want to hang out. Gets off the boat. He's in a graveyard at night. All of them are in a graveyard at night. And a, and a terrifying presence comes running towards them. A, an individual who is potentially bleeding from where he's been cutting himself. A man who's got broken chains on him from where people have tried to bind him. It's even possible that the disciples have heard rumors of this individual that, that they're now seeing for the very first time. I'm, I'm imagining that he doesn't come up cool, calm, and collected and just quietly lay before Jesus, right? I mean, he's, he's got evil spirits within him that are tormented over the fact that they're in the presence of Jesus now. A horrific scene, a, a terrifying scene for this individual to be, to be running towards them, screaming and crying out potentially. And, and Jesus has an interaction with this man. It says in verse 8, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who uh, had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is, this is so intriguing, one, because he shows that, that he's superior over, for, over all spirits, over all evil spirits, that Jesus reigns supreme. But what, what really stands out to me in this passage is here you have a man who is begging, God's word says, begging to go with Jesus. Jesus has called individuals to follow him. Most have done so, but but there's been others that have given excuses. I need to do this first. I need to do this first. And then they're rebuked for it, that they're not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Here's a man that really doesn't even have to be asked. He's a man that has been radically changed by the gospel, has a desire to keep following Jesus and proclaim that good news alongside of him. And Jesus says, stay here. Stay here at your home. You're not coming with us. There's going to be some that may even have a real desire to go. So there's going to be some that that God doesn't stir in you at all to go. I mean, it's just obvious we're staying here. There's no desire to go. This doesn't, you know, I totally see my role is here. There may be some that, that, that really have a desire to go that are going to be told to stay. For various reasons. I believe the major reason that um, hang on, I'm getting 
I think the major reason that, that Jesus tells him to stay here is that Jesus and his disciples are being run out of this place. Like, they're not being permitted to stay. These, these guys, we're afraid of you. We want you to leave. But this guy's one of their own. And he's got an ability to witness and be effective in this area in a way that, that Jesus' disciples can't. And I think it necessitates us figuring out what, what ministry do I potentially have here and are there obligations for me to stay here? Is it better for me to be here than to be potentially over there? It was better for this man to stay. According to the words of Jesus, it was better for him to stay. He tells a willing man to stay at home because he was more useful at home. So the question it kind of leaves for us is, have you faithfully shared the gospel with those closest to you before you make plans to set off for the ends of the world? See, for those that are going to go, it should be people that have exhausted their ministry here, really. This, this guy hasn't had a chance to go home. He may have a wife and kids that, that were there before he got possessed by these demons, and we don't know how long he's been in this condition. But Jesus says, before you run off and follow me, go home and tell your family, go home and tell your friends that have not really, have not really known the change that's happened in you. And I think for those that go, there's, there's, a, there's a reconciliation that needs to happen. Have I, have I finished my ministry here? Have I, have I spent and, and exhausted my time? Can I, can I go? Because I may not be coming back. I mean, that, that's, that's the truth, right? There, there are plenty of churches that have... Now, we don't perceive Uganda to be a, a, uh, a terribly unsafe area at this point. But there's a, there's a potential, at least, that, that some would be sent that don't come home. That for, for, for whatever unforeseen reason at this point, maybe God takes them home while they're there. Has their ministry been finished here before they set to go? I think that's something that, that as we're praying through it, as you're praying through it, that, that's something that you need to have conversations with with your spouse if you're married. That you need to have conversations with others as an individual. To, to, to determine, am I at a point where it's best for me to go? Have I finished what God tasked me to do here? Have I, have I proclaimed him here so that I can now go and proclaim him there? He calls some to stay until their ministry is done here. Some things for you to think about. Which, which role do you fit into? The indefinite person, the temporary person, or the stay intentionally person? What still needs to happen before we can send a team? I want to give you some things to be thinking about and praying about because we all fit into this as well as far as our roles in making some of these things happen. What still needs to happen before we can send a team? I told you minimum of two years before we would really think about sending people. But there's some things that really have to happen, not just seeing two years pass, right? So it's not just a time frame thing. It's some things that need to happen. Number one, we need 150 people if we're going to be able to financially support those that go. Right? The, 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 the goals that we've set as a church don't technically function independently of each other. But they kind of all work together if they're going to happen. So for us to financially be able to send people, you know, we're talking about six to eight potential incomes that are currently giving to the church that would no longer be here. That, that money that's being given has to be replaced if they're going to be supported. 
And that's a joint effort by all of us as we share the gospel, as people get saved through our efforts, as new believers move to this area, that we're faithfully welcoming them, incorporating them into our church. God brings people from other churches potentially, that we maximize bringing them in because it's always, it's always nice to come to a small church because you, you feel like, okay, I'm going to be known here. But if the people that are already here aren't faithful to open up their lives and include new people, then, it, then you just feel like you're meeting a brick wall every time you show up. These people know each other, they love each other, but they're not interested in more people joining their group. We've got to grow as a church to financially support people to go overseas. And that, that's a role that we all play in that. It's something that, would really, that really has to happen before we can confidently send others out. Um, you know, the, the, the encouragement in Ephesians 4.28 is that... The thief would no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So over the course of this next year, this next two years, the next three years, we need people that are working hard, not just to meet their own needs, not just to meet their family needs, but to to have excess that can be shared with those that will need. And our team will need the financial support to go. Secondly, we need five elders and five deacons so we can send qualified leadership and keep qualified leadership. Specifically, we'll need a lead pastor to go. We, we, we can't just send our leadership and there be no leadership left here, right? I mean, we could easily say, hey, Tyson and Sarah, Adam and Jen, Adam and Lauren, we're going to all go and do this. And then there's no structural leadership here. It would be irresponsible of us. Church starts to, to fall apart. There's no, there's no guidance, no direction, no vision. And then you know what? We've got six to eight people overseas with nothing back here to support. And they all have to come home anyways. So it's a process where we have to raise up leadership so that we can send out leadership, but still have leadership here to keep this infrastructure in place so that those people can continue to be supported. So we need, we're going to have to grow as a church. We're going to have to grow in depth as a church as leadership gets raised up. And then third, a local ministry that prepares people for work on the field. You remember when we first talked about this back in August, these, these goals as a church, we talked about starting a local ministry, a local ministry that helps reach those that are, that are less fortunate. And we also talked about it making sense that we do something that would help prepare us for what we might would do overseas. So not just arbitrarily thinking of something to do here that sounds good, that helps some people, but something that we could potentially train people here that could be involved here, and then when we send them, they're doing the same type of ministry overseas. Ultimately, we need to learn how to take care of others. And we have some opportunities available to us right now that, that I, would, uh, I, would, I would assume it's, it's a, a foregone conclusion that if someone was going to go, that they needed to be heavily involved in what we're already doing here as far as meeting the needs of others. So, so there's all kinds of opportunities that we shared with you last week with the Coweta Pregnancy Service, right? There, there's opportunities to, to give financially through our diaper drives, through our bottle campaign. 
Um, there's ways to give of your time by being a part of the 5K runs that they're going to do. Opportunities to fundraise with them by being both a physical presence and giving of your money. Um, we've done showers in the past where, where girls have come that are keeping their baby but have no way to take care of their baby, can't purchase the things needed. We've thrown showers for those families to give them what they need uh, to, to help support that decision they've made to keep that child. Um, those are opportunities to be involved there. Um, our summer fun program is an opportunity where we take uh, a, a, week, a week's time in the summer to connect with the, the least fortunate in the Sonoy area where we help run a kids program during the summer. Um, if we can't do that here, then I don't believe we can do it over there. We, we can't meet the needs of those over there if we're not willing to meet the needs of people here that are less fortunate. These are things that we're already doing. Um, and then the Sonoy events. Now, we've talked about this before. The Sonoy events that we do, the Memorial Day, those things don't give us great gospel conversation opportunities. But what it does do is it shows the community we're not just here for our agenda. We're here to make the community better. And that's going to be a necessity over there. We just parachute in and try to try to lead people with the gospel but show no genuine concern for their livelihood. It's going to fall on deaf ears. There has to be a demonstration that we're not just here for our agenda. We're here to love on you people, to show genuine care and concern for you. We're willing to live like you live. We're willing to eat what you eat. We're willing to be Ugandan for the time that we're here. And that starts by, by showing our community here that, we, that we're not just here for our purposes. We're here to, to make this community better. By simply giving of our time and service, even if it doesn't benefit our church. It's impacting the people that run those events every time they see our church show up. And that's the type of thing that we were going to want to do there as well. But but I think we need to be doing more than just that. Um, some op- opportunities that we could potentially pursue here. And, and this is where we need you to start thinking and... and, and um, brainstorming as well, especially for those that have already started to feel a stirring in their heart that maybe they're going to go. What are some things that we can potentially do here that could then translate over there? Now, we talked last week that that part of Chris's setup is to um, have gardens planted where food can be given to um, both widows in the area, I think we've talked about, um, just less fortunate in the area, but also to provide food for the for the people that are being housed there. So as people come to live at Chris's house that he's discipling, uh, being able to provide food for those individuals, but then also letting those guys take food into the community. Um, and so we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. And um, as I was studying yesterday morning, I was texting um, Tyson and Adam and um, just talking about what would it look like for us to do something like that here to potentially develop some type of, of, of food ministry, not canned food ministry, but actually we're going to grow our own food and, and give it to this community. Um, it used to take place here in Sonoy. Um, Vineyard Church, which we've you know, done some things with in the past, um, on their church facility, they, they have the So Good Center, and, and it's primarily clothing and canned food. Now, they did have a, a, a gardening component, but never really had anybody that could oversee it. Um, they started it. Got a lot of the materials for it. Um, according to their pastor, they've got all the, 
the dripping structure that helps provide water for the gardens and, and keeps them um, hydrated even when it's not raining. So they've got all kinds of equipment and setup already over there. Um, just didn't have anybody to run it. Um, and so I had just an initial conversation through text message with him yesterday. Just said, hey, our church is praying about sending people to Uganda. We've talked about the idea of, of planting gardens. Would you guys have any interest in starting that back up at, his, at your church? And, and he said, absolutely. He said, I'd love to meet with you if you guys get to the point where you're serious about potentially doing that. Um, there's a farm here in Sharpsburg called 180 Degree Farm, I think. I don't know very much about it, but they're already doing something like that very similar. So they're, they're growing their own food. They have people from the community come in and purchase it, but they're also giving away a lot of it to those in that area that need it. Um, so there's the potential, if we're serious about, and, and this would take some conversation with Chris, and um, again, this is just something that I was thinking about yesterday, just to hopefully get you thinking. So I'm not telling you that, hey, we're going to partner with Vineyard and start doing this next week kind of thing. I'm just telling you that I'm thinking and I want you thinking. Um, there, there's potential resources right here that we could learn from over the next couple of years, reap benefits of just knowing how to do something like this to then be able to go to Uganda and do it. Um, another thing that, that I think would correlate well with what Chris wants to do over there is um, I've had conversations with Legacy Church. Uh, there's some guys over there, their worship pastor, their youth pastor, that have a real heart to see some type of after-school type program started for the kids over where we do the summer fun program in the Couch Street area. Kids that, that are coming home that don't have dads to go, to go home to, that um, have real rough family situations. They're struggling in school. Uh, struggling with with um, role models and leadership in their life. And so the guys at Legacy have talked about potentially starting some type of after-school program where kids could be tutored in their schooling but could have individuals that just want to hang out with them, um, which I think, too, would correlate well with what we would be t- potentially doing over there is, as Chris has individuals in that are being taught and, and being schooled, maybe not necessarily in the academics but in Scripture, um, but potentially even be able to extend that within the community where we're where we're interacting with with children that gives us an end to interact with their parents as well. Um, those are two things that I immediately thought of yesterday that would be things that are doable. Right. So we have a place right here that, that kids could come and we could potentially do that type of thing with. Um, there are, like I said, places already here that have some experience with the idea of gardening and providing food for those that are less fortunate that we could tap into. Um, I think we need to start thinking realistically, what can we start doing locally as an extension to those that are less fortunate, using it as a means to train up people that would be sent out to do it there? Um, and so, so I want you kind of thinking and, and praying through that potentially um, as well. And then lastly here for today, and we'll wrap up with this, what if, I'm, what if I'm feeling called to go? So we've had some that have come forward that said, hey, I'm really praying and thinking about going. What, what do I need to do? Or, or, or give me some things to think about. So I want to give you three things this morning to to think about. What if I'm feeling called to go? Number one, determine desirability. Determine the desirability. Working through the mindset of why do you desire to go and what do you desire to do there? So I believe that, that God leads us in the ways of his spirit through the renewed desires that he gives us. So I think that... It can be difficult to say, well, am I in God? Am I in the center of God's will? Right. We, we, we follow God's revealed will in Scripture. He's called us to do certain things. And then I think he gives us desires 
that, that helps lead us in the direction that he wants us to go. Right? So, so really assessing the desire to go. Why do you desire to go? What do you desire to do? Um, kind of meshing that with uh, the desires that you have here. How would moving alter other desires that you have, and can you do both? So for some, to go, it would mean forfeiting some desires here, right? So just as an illustration, I have a desire to, and I've, I've had a desire for the longest time to work in a local church and to be in administration at a local Christian school. Those were desires that I had back in high school. Um you know, as 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 I kind of contemplate where to where to Lauren and I fit into this, for us to go would mean me forfeiting some desires that I also have here, and so that's something that I have to reconcile. Where where do my desires for what I'm currently doing and, and God fulfilling those desires? How does that mesh with me potentially leaving this? Because right, I don't get to to go to Uganda for five years and then come back and say, Hey Trinity, I'm back. I'd like to be the principal again. They'll have another principal in place. So I'm not coming back here to do what I'm currently doing. Some are in situations where you could leave your job and then come back and and pick right up where you left off. Some of you would have to potentially come back and get recertified in the stuff that you do right now. It wouldn't just be a matter of showing back up and doing what you're doing right now. You'd have to come back and, and work hard to get back to where you were when you left. And again, that's not to deter you from going, but it's to give you some realistic things to be thinking about. I'm, I'm potentially leaving. What does it look like when I come back? Because we're not asking anybody to go forever. The expectation is that everybody would come back at some point. What type of life are you coming back to? Does it make sense for you to be a part of the group that goes? Um, in some sense, you're putting your life on hold for five to eight years. Right? So especially those of us that, especially those that are, that are young marrieds, I mean... You've probably started to make some plans. When are we going to have kids? When are we going to buy a house? What, what does retirement look like? You know, we're, we're, we want to save a certain amount of money so that we can then put it down on a house or, or to buy a new car. You're, you're not building a savings account or a, retire, a retirement account if you go, right? Like you're, you're putting your life on hold. You're coming back at best in the same financial condition that you leave in but most likely worse because you're going to have to make some type of financial commitment to go. You're going to have to sell off some stuff. You're going to have to say goodbye to some stuff. At best, you come back exactly where you're at right now financially, but most likely worse than you are right now financially. And that needs to be something that you talk about, especially those that are married. You know, For those that are single, we've talked about this in our theology of singleness. You've got more freedom to just say, Psh, gone, I'm out of here. I don't have things tying me down here. For those that are married, there's need, these be, there needs to be some real conversations about when are we having kids? Because I'm going to tell you, it's hard enough learning how to be a mom and a dad here. It's, 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 I, I imagine that much harder to learn how to be a mom and a dad over there. And if we're only going to be there five years, are you going to spend the bulk of your time pregnant and raising a one-year-old versus being fully thrown into the ministry over there. Again, that's not to deter anybody from going, nor is it a rule that you can't have a baby if you go on this team. But it's something to think about. Where are we at, for those that are married, where are we at as far as, hey, we want to start our family? Where does that fit into the next five, seven years 
How does that mesh together? Just wanting to give you some real things to think about. It sounds cool. Hey, we could see ourselves living in Uganda. We're going to go to Uganda. But there's some things that really have to be thought through to determine if this is the best thing for the group that we send. Um, Number two, determine the feasibility. What obstacles would stand in your way of going? Determine the feasibility. What obstacles would stand in your way of going? For some, there's some debt considerations that have to be considered. Some that have already purchased houses. Some that have purchased cars. Things that have to be reconciled before you could go. Um, what obstacles would stand in your way of just saying today, hey, we, we can go. What, what things would hold you back from going right now? And can you remove those obstacles to be able to go? What responsibilities or obligations do you potentially have here? And then number three, determine your usability. Determine the usability. Are you demonstrating faithfulness here that gives others confidence in you over there? Because here's the thing. While while we're an elder-led church, we do rely on our members to affirm big decisions, right? So we don't just parade people up here and say, Here's, here, here's your next elder. Like, we invite you to participate with us, and we give you time to say, hey, come tell us if you think this person shouldn't be an elder. But when it comes down to it, it's going to be, hey, here, here's the group of people that want to go. Do you guys feel good about financially putting your hard work, earned money towards this group? And it ought to be that we look up and say, man, I feel great about this group. This group has been faithful here. They have proven their worth here. It's going to be hard to say goodbye to them because of what they're doing in our church here. But absolutely, absolutely, that's who I want my money going to. Desirability, feasibility, usability. Are you demonstrating faithfulness here? And then what skills and giftings do you believe you possess that provide an advantage to the team? What, 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 what do you have to offer the team that's going to that's going to make you useful over there? What giftings and abilities do you have that will enhance what we're striving to do over there? There's some application for you to, 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 as you're thinking through these things. Um, number one, to pray humbly. To pray humbly. I encourage those that are feeling potentially a call to go to pray humbly about this, to confess sin. So that you're thinking clearly and, and getting God's actual guidance in your life to to potentially reconcile any relationships in here at Sovereign Hope, because you may end up feeling called and there may be somebody else that's feeling called. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know if we would work well together to reconcile relationships with anybody in this church that you feel like if they were to go, I don't know if I would want to go. There's going to have to be such intense unity in that group to to say goodbye to everything and go there. Secondly, to get involved, to participate in as much as you can now. To gather information. If you've got a spouse, to sit down and talk about the pros and the cons, the advantages and the disadvantages in going versus staying. Because we need people that have good jobs, that make good money to stay so that these people can be sent. Along with gathering information, those that are starting to feel a desire to maybe go need to start saving so that you can visit. So at some point in the next year, our plan is to take anyone who's interested um, that kind of works through that process with us over there to visit, to see what we're talking about, um, to go with Chris and to evaluate, okay, this is what it looks like, this is what we're talking about, 
to gather information to help make that decision. That's something that you can start saving for now for that trip. Um, to seek counsel, to talk with other people who will give you their insight about you going or not going. And I would encourage you to talk with people that are going to give you both sides. It doesn't do any good to sit down with people that you know are just going to encourage you to go. All of us would have people that in our minds were thinking, oh, it's going to be tough to tell that person that I'm leaving. To sit down and talk with that person and get insight from them that may give you the other side as well. And then to be prepared to learn the gospel inside and out because you're going to be expected to proclaim it. And to learn potential skills now that you could use over there. So heavy application today. I wanted that as we leave Genesis 3. Um, as we talk about taking this good news of Genesis 3 to the ends of the earth. To give you some things to really think about as a church family. Both those that are going to end up staying. Those that are going to end up going. To try to give you some direction. Um, so that as we sit down and talk with you. As you want to have conversations about it. That we can kind of. Go to these things and say, well, well, how is this kind of being worked out in your thought process? What are you thinking about this? What are you thinking about this? Um, and so I wanted to give you some things to take um, to also be able to, to have this on hand so that if somebody wants to talk to you, maybe you're not feeling like you're going, but somebody else is and they want to share that with you and talk with you about it, that you've got some guided things to ask them and to question them about to, to help sharpen their understanding about whether they're to go or whether they're to stay. All right, I'm going to pray for us and um, let you guys leave if you want to, but I'm going to let you ask some questions if you've got any questions based on what we talked about last week with this idea of going, what we've shared this week, any questions that maybe you have that would help give guidance to you or to others in this process as well. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ who has come to fix everything that went wrong in the garden. And Father, we are praying that that you would see fit to use our church as a means, as an instrument to take the gospel to this area in Uganda. God, we pray that you would um, confirm the details, allow us to have the wisdom that we need to, to make this a reality. Um, Father, I know that we're going to have people that are willing. I pray that the right people would be willing. Those that you desire to send indefinitely. God, I pray that you would call many to stay here that would go on temporary trips, that would stay to continue the ministry that we're wanting to do here, that would also stay to work hard to have money to share with those that are going to need it. So we pray and ask those things this morning, God, that you would, you would lead and guide all of us to know where our role is in this process. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church Podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.